This is Monstras. Welcome to another episode of Monstras. Hi, everyone. My name's Orchidia. And I'm Brenda. And yeah, so we're re-recording this episode because we I, lost. I was going to say it. So, okay. I always mess up the tech and we recorded this episode a week ago and my audio did not record. <laughs> so oh. I recorded an hour and a half of dead air. So now we are doing this again. It was just again. me talking to myself, which is normal. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about curanderos. It is a really fun episode and we've done quite a bit of research on different areas of this topic. So I'm excited. Yeah. So let's get started. Yeah. And I think a good starting point is a definition. Um, so curandero comes from the word curar and in Spanish, curar means to heal. So a curandero is someone that heals. Right, a healer. And curanderismo is the, the whole, the practice of healing. Professor of Anthropology and Folklore Joe Graham defines curanderismo as the art of folk healing done by a healer or a curandero who can be men or women. Traditionally, or at least what we'll be talking about in the episode today, it's curanderos found in Mexico and the U.S. Southwest because, I mean, globally, there's a lot of different practices of healing and folk yes. healing. So we're, we're, not saying all folk healers do this. This is definitely Mexico and U.S. Southwest practices. Yeah, and there are different types of curanderos depending on how they heal. So for instance, sobadores, they heal by kind of massaging the body, which sounds pretty good right now at the end of the week yeah. um, when we're recording this. I want, yeah, I want a massage. There's another person or another type of curandero called a yerbero who specializes in tonics and herbs to heal. And finally, partera, or a midwife. A curandero will sometimes go to another specialist, another one of these specialists, for help or advice. There are other types of curanderos that heal spiritual ailments, and we'll talk about some of those ailments later. So, Orquidia, can you explain exactly how I could become a curandero someday? Okay, so if that is your goal in life, <laughs> to become a curandera, it's kind of a hard process. So first, Damn. yeah, <laughs> you have to go through an apprenticeship usually. So you start working with an established curandero, curandera, that has the skills you want and you learned through helping them. And then the other part, and this is the part that you can't work for, you kind of have to just have. So it's said that people that can heal are born with a gift or they have a gift of healing. In Spanish, it's a don. And some of the cases we'll talk about today of like famous or well-known curanderos, they develop this ability to heal only after they themselves face serious illness or injury. So after like some traumatic event, they kind of realize that they have a special power to heal people. So... Are you up for oh, that? Oh, then never mind. I don't want to do that. <laughs> you don't want to do that? I don't want to go through a traumatic event of some sort or serious injury to, <laughs> just to heal other people. Yeah. Nah, I'm good. Just be just be close <laughs> to death for like a week and then you'll be an awesome curandera. Yeah, maybe I can just 
go into a light coma okay. of some sort, you know? <laughs> it'll be, it'll be refreshing. Be <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Professor Graham in the 80s wrote, quote, typically the curandero works on three levels, the material, the spiritual, and the mental. He may prescribe a herbal remedy or conduct a religious ritual. Quite often, a practitioner is called upon to treat the physical symptoms that patients believe come from supernatural causes. So I think that's really cool how curanderos like address all these different parts of the human, right? It's not just the body, but the mind and, and the soul. So can you, can you tell us a little bit about like the <laughs> origins of, of curanderos? Absolutely. So as always, my favorite part is looking into the history as with all things in Latin America, curandero practices originate from a combination of indigenous and Spanish traditions. So in July of 1562, Diego de Landa, a Franciscan friar, ended up burning 5,000 Mayan idols and 27 Mayan hieroglyphic books. He saw these items as the works of the devil, stating, As we found nothing in these writings that did not contain superstition and lies of the devil, we burned them all which they regretted to an amazing degree and which caused them great affliction. This man single-handedly destroyed hundreds upon hundreds of years of Maya medicinal practices, history, and culture. What a douche. I know. He's a giant douche. Yeah. Giant douche. I like how he said, which they regretted to an amazing degree and which caused them great affliction, as if they wouldn't be upset that all their history and culture has been burned. Yeah. He's like, these savages of- have feelings? What? 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 <laughs> it's just like, it's ridiculous. And so this is why this is kind of ridiculous also, is in 1566, he had a, a change of heart. He regretted his actions, which I think way too late, bro. Yeah. Because he, it wasn't just that he burned these um books he was really burning their their practices and their history and their and their ability to actually carry on these traditions he was also kind of involved in the torture of many indigenous people as well because the spanish inquisition also had its hands its dirty dirty little hands in latin america so just fyi so he regretted his actions and wrote an apologetic treaties documenting Maya culture, science, and art. He actually embarked on rebuilding some of the knowledge he burned, documenting different flora and the remedies they were used in. This book soon became the foundation for understanding Maya medicine and shamanism. Maya medicinal <laughs> healing combined... <laughs> what? No, I'm just laughing because I'm picturing him because I know like the way he wrote these histories was asking Mayan folks... Right, like, oh, can you tell me more about yeah. these practices? So can you imagine, like, some dude burns all your history, your culture, kills people, you're, like, your community because of that, and then goes, you know what, never mind. Can you tell me how you used to do this? And you're just like, wait, what? <laughs> like, didn't you just burn all of it? Like, why did... Yeah. I-, I cannot even believe it. It's just, it's insane. It's insane. He was... Not a good person, and I don't care if he had a change of heart. He still fucked things up, man. Mm. So Maya medicinal healing combined all aspects we know of about the Mayans' view of the world. So it, inc- it combined their landscape, religion, astronomical alignments, and agriculture. Good health equaled 
balance with the world around them and society. So the god, and I'm going to destroy all of these names, I'm so sorry ahead of time, but the god Hunabku was the god of creation and his son, Itzamna, were the rulers of heaven and medicine. Ixchel, Itzamna's wife, and a goddess herself, was the god of women's health, medicine, and floods. Which the floods was kind of random, but I guess, I don't know. I don't know the explanation for that one. <laughs> I would love to know why floods was included in there. The cardinal directions are also important in Maya religious belief. So you have north, west, center, and then east, south. Each direction was also associated with a color and a god, which also was attached to a disease and its severity. So it measured the severity of that disease. So for instance, the god Chuck coincided with east and the color red. So in their hieroglyphic text, the glyph red or intense served as a prefix meaning severe with regard to the disease. And that comes from directly from a book by Sarah Hughes, which I'll also go over at the end. So the color of plants also indicated their effectiveness against certain ailments. So red plants were good against blood-based disease, while white plants were actually completely avoided since they were associated with death and poison, which I think white is also in Asian cultures associated with death as well. Yeah, I think that's like the morning color. I wonder why. I'm not sure. And all I can think of is like going to the light <laughs> when you die. Going to the light? <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, was, like, isn't the light good? Yeah, but it's also, I mean, you're dead. I guess so. <laughs> I, I figured maybe it meant like white was associated with the draining of, of color in your body, like the, the paleness that you would become. That makes a lot more sense. <laughs> You know? Yeah. I That's kind of what I figured, but I've never been up close to a dead body, so I don't know. Yeah. We need to work on that. We need to get close to a body. Yeah. You are so correct. Yeah. We need to go to a morgue. <laughs> For the sake of, of this podcast, like, we can't really talk about all these things without seeing a body. We got to do it for our fans. <laughs> Definitely got to break into a morgue for our fans. We're doing it for you guys. We'll record the whole thing, put it on social media, <laughs> promptly get arrested, but we did it for you guys. <laughs> They'll do a GoFundMe page to, to bail us out. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the really cool things about this history that you've introduced us to is like how some of these practices are still around today. So something that we consider like ancient and, you know all those negative words associated with indigenous cultures. It's still very much how we think about medicine. So I know you found that one common remedy was the gumbo limbo, which treated fever, sores, reduced fever, and relieved pain. And that scientific research indicates that this tree can serve as a diuretic, a diaphoretic to increase per uh, perspiration and laxative. And it's most effective medicinal Roles involve treating edema, edema, not edema, edema, <laughs> edema, <laughs> yellow fever. A woman named edema. edema. <laughs> Get her out of here. <laughs> so, uh, treating edema, yellow fever, intestinal infections, and lesions or sores on the skin when applied externally. So th they were using it for these things already. And it's something that we're just starting 
we're, that we're doing now still. That was really cool exactly. to see. The other thing that I discovered that was really interesting is that they also treated uh, psychiatric disorders, also known as nervios, and had about 92 different plants that helped, including bougainvillea, spectabilis flowers, which treated sadness in children. Uh, I hope it didn't just kill them. Imagine just, that's how I would treat it. That's what I keep thinking. Like, I remember, I always thought bougainvilleas were toxic. I don't think so. I think it's it's just maybe in, like, a, a certain doses. Maybe if you eat, like, all the flowers on a bush or something. Yeah, I don't think they they were like, let's, you know, give them a giant dose <laughs> of, of this poisonous flower. Like, who knows uh, what the recipe was, but... Shaman healers were actually pretty high up in society. They were important because they communicated directly with gods in order to heal, which is what curanderos do today. Just different gods. <laughs> Not the same gods. So according to that same book that I was uh, mentioning, Hughes, after the Spanish conquest, you actually saw more women taking a role as healers. And like many things, the Spanish did want to eliminate these practices, but they were too embedded in the culture. And so instead, they merged them together. They, the Spanish, after all, also sought, they also kind of sought out these medicines to use that the Maya had, especially remedies for yellow fever. So the Spanish were like, they, they knew kind of what's up too. I feel like they burned everything and were like, oh, shit. <laughs> Now we're getting we sick. <laughs> also, historically, or at least in the U.S. Southwest, like Texas, for example, curanderos have provided health care for people that can't afford health care otherwise or who historically weren't treated by um, Anglo doctors, right? Because of this mm -hmm. history of segregation and racism, sometimes doctors refuse to see Mexican patients and one of the other things that's really in, um, sad is that there's a linguistic barrier sometimes, right, that keeps people from finding healthcare. There's definitely a gap between, you know, what language these these people speak and the language that the healthcare providers can can help them in. So curanderos kind of meet them in 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 their cultural environment, environment. right? Yeah, yeah. Curanderos speak their language and understand the cultural norms that of the treat patients that they're treating yeah and believe them because that, that's one of the other things too right like if they're treating like the physical and the spiritual and the mental when people come in with saying that they have susto or maldojo which is are some of the elements we're going to talk about you know some doctors would dismiss that right but this really is affecting them physically and mentally um, and curanderos can address that cultural aspect. We looked at some uh, more well-known curanderos. Uh, one of the big ones was Don Pedro Jaramillo from South Texas. Uh, and we'll share some pics of him on social media. We haven't done by the time this comes out. So he was born to Tarascan parents and moved to South Texas around 1881. This is a good story. So the story goes that during his cowboy days, he fell off a horse and broke his nose and to <laughs> that sucks <laughs> uh to fix it up he put his nose in cool mud and i just have this image of him with his face down in like a puddle of mud just there for hours 
but I I think he probably did like a mud mask, right? Probably did a more of a mud mask, but still like <laughs> I like the idea of him like his face just in a puddle of mud. Yeah. <laughs> like an ostrich just like there. <laughs> But so the mask worked. And after curing himself, he had a dream where a voice told him he he now had the power to heal and the gift to heal. So he started helping people um, and giving them homemade remedies. So people started going from all over Texas, all over Mexico and other parts of the U.S. too, to ask him for help. And he rarely charged them for for the treatment because he treated a lot of poor oh. folks. And then he died when he was about 78. And his gravesite is in Los Olmos Ranch um, in Falfurrias in South Texas. And th- that has become a shrine. So people still do pilgrimages there. They leave prayers, candles, photographs, and other gifts. So they're still asking him for help, um, even now that he's passed. And the shrine was designated a Texas historical marker in 1971. So that's great about the shrine becoming finally a Texas historical make marker because that's kind of not common, mm-hmm. surprisingly, right? I mean, you're from Texas. You would know, right? Yeah. there's it's, it's hard to find Latino history memorialized like that. Even yeah. though Texas was at one point Mexico. Yeah. And in Texas, we have quite a few, but there should be more always. Yeah, there should probably be more. Yeah. But Don Jaramillo's techniques for healing included prayer. A lot of his healing was faith, faith-based. He said that without the power of God, he couldn't heal. And if people didn't have faith, they couldn't be helped. So his cures included water, like telling people to drink lots of water, mud packs, plants, tequila, tequila and red wine. I like that. <laughs> it's like a spa day. <laughs> And like Orquídeo said, he didn't actually take money, but whatever money he did receive, he donated. Yeah, which is really amazing. Like, he really dedicated his life to this. And I know for, like, a lot of people think about him as a saint. But yeah, I found this really interesting case in an Austin Chronicle article. So it says... um, so probably the most famous folktale is of a woman who was too lazy to, to visit Don Pedrito, so she sent an acquaintance to seek a cure for her migraine headaches. Perhaps more than a little unhappy about the deceit, the curandero recommended that the woman suffering the headaches have her head cut off and fed to ho- the hogs. When told <laughs> of the prescription, the woman became furious, but she never suffered another headache as long as she lived. I love that. Wow. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. I want to tell people off like that. Like, that's such a good, like, how dare you? Yeah. But it cured your headaches. Right. <laughs> and I know, like, some of the healing that he did because he wanted people to be, to really believe in it and be really invested in it. A lot of it was, he would be like, you know, this is just an, a made up example, but drink three cups of water every day. Right. So kind of testing their their resolve to stick to treatments and to follow his orders and to have faith in it. So he seemed really like a troll, a curandero troll. And I love that. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) So one of the sad things, though, um, and we didn't record this on our previous attempt to do this, 
because on mm-hmm. February 15th of this year, so just like a few days ago, five days ago, yeah, the Don Jaramillo Shrine in Falfurrias was desecrated. So this memorial to him, this site where people still go to, to, to worship, was desecrated. So all the statues were damaged and broken and artifacts left behind by worshippers were destroyed. It's really, really sad. Um, the cops don't have any leads yet. Last time I checked, like, there weren't any updates. Um, they have no idea who did it or why. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Why would they do that? I have a feeling, I wonder if it's either a racism thing mm-hmm. or a religious thing. Because, you know, the whole idea of, like, my god is a jealous god or whatever. So maybe it was a religiously motivated against, like, maybe false idols or mm-hmm. something like that. Or... I can only imagine with how bad the situation is in the United States, uh, it wouldn't be hard for me to imagine that it was a uh, racist act. I honestly think because Falfurrias is kind of, it's such a small place. It's a small town. I really think it's like bored people that just went. Oh, you think so? It's just a random act. It has no significance, really. Yeah. I think that they'll, like, if, if they're local folks, the only significance is they know it's important and they just wanted to fuck it up. Like, I really think that that's, that's what true. it was. That's a good point. And we can post the article also on, on social media and we will. Yeah. But I wanted to talk about another uh, well-known healer, Teresa Urrea, also known as La Santa de Cabora. She was born in Sinaloa, Mexico uh, in 1873. She learned about folk healing from a household servant and a curandera called... Uh, Huila. Around 1889, when the family moved to Cabora, Teresa fell into a catatonic state or trance. And here we have both curanderos suffer some sort of illness or Mm -hmm. some sort of injury, right? Once she awakened from the trance, she was actually able to start healing other people using her hands. Thousands of people traveled to ask, traveled to her actually to ask to be cured. This is where it gets kind of interesting. So A lot of people that asked for her help were indigenous people. So a lot of her patients were actually Mayo and Yaqui Indians, as well as Mestizo and a few wealthy Mexicans. In 1891, there was a rebellion by the uh, Tarahumara Indians in Tomochic or Tomochic. Somehow, Teresa and her family were involved and Porfirio Diaz, the president at the time of Mexico, deported them. So they moved to Arizona. (laughs) I love it so much. Yeah. That's so funny. It's like you're (laughs) deported to the U.S. Yeah. (laughs) And it was just, so it seems like she was involved with like some forms of rebellion and things like that. Um, It's hard to tell what she actually did just because there's not a a lot of historical info on her. But the fact that she was curandera and a troublemaker, again, interesting. Um, I love it. She was a female troublemaker. Go for it, Teresa. Yeah. Um, She's a monstra. <laughs> so Professor Desiree Martin uh, explains how Teresa was seen as a symbol of revolution. So in her book, she writes, uh, she also served at, in a symbolic capacity for the production of revolutionary pro- propaganda against the Mexican government. So she kind of like her image was used in that way. 
So she was so influential that in 1997, the U.S. and Mexican government pressured her to move away from the border region. So even <laughs> they were just like, nah, not even Arizona. Just keep it moving. <laughs> keep it moving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, she moved away from the border and continued healing and then did a tour around the U.S. with J.H. Suits, J.H. Suits and a medical company. So, yeah, I highly recommend the the Borderland Saints book by Desiree Martin. It's it's really, really good. And it kind of definitely has a lot more info on Teresa. But, yeah, I think that gets us into our next topic. So we're interested in the role of women in the topics that we explore. So that's one of the reasons we were interested in the story of Teresa, but also broadly understanding women's roles as curanderas, right? Yes. So let me get into women in healing. So besides the fact that women have always been an integral part to healing in almost every culture, I wanted to touch on female curanderos because modern women have been leading some of these new age, goopy, anti and anti-vaccine movements. One thing that I do want to note is that there is a difference between a curandera and these anti-vax people. So I just want to make that clear. So curanderos, if they cannot cure the patient, they will seek medical uh, care elsewhere. The hierarchy is usually a family member, a curandera, and then mainstream medicine. Even the Maya incorporated practices the Spanish brought over that worked. And one of the things that stood out to me was I watched a video recently, Goop. I'm fascinated by Goop and how crazy <laughs> it is. So I watched this video. And basically, they went... To Richmond, Richmond, California, actually not that far from me. There they had a convention. Guess how much the tickets were per person, Orquidia? 300 No, it was $1,000 per person. Shit. $1,000. So you had to get in. So you paid $1,000, got in, and this journalist got in, and she talks to this woman who's doing the smudging for her, and she's like, hey, you know, how do you feel about these cultural practices being used in here and the curandera you know curandera or or healer kind of looks at her and says well you know first of all my practices are for the entire community so i don't exclude anyone really also girl i need to eat (laughs) (laughs) is essentially what she said too like she has to put food on the table you know these white people are paying so yeah if and then she can take that money and it helps her continue her practice. So I think there's a slightly positive side to that, but it's very slight. Yeah. Because I see way more exploitation of these practices versus actually seeing positive results from it. Mm -hmm. Or like taking these practices and putting Gwyneth Paltrow's face on it and then, like you said, selling it for more, right? And forgetting the cultural history of it. Like, this is stuff that was almost erased and people that were killed over believing these things. And now you're selling it on Netflix or whatever. And it's it's also, like, it gets to the point that, like, a lot of people, when you say you f- believe in folk medicine or you practice folk medicine, you're seen as superstitious or uneducated. Yet, if you do New Age things that, or it's in that framework, that's seen as being ahead of the curve or innovative. And I think that's that's when it really gets to be a problem, right? Like depending on your skin color, that's how 
you're labeled if you do these practices. Exactly. And you see someone like Gwyneth Paltrow, we're raking in the dough. I mean, Goop makes a lot of money. It makes a ton of money. Again, you're supposed to heal the mind, the person, the body. Like, it's a holistic kind of idea. Instead, you're just, like, throwing it on the internet and being like, put this stuff, you know, put this, you know, what is it? Jade stone up your vag. <laughs> or steam it or something. Like, Wasn't she, like, steaming it at some point? Yeah, she steams her clams. I don't know. <laughs> it has some... <laughs> she steams clams. <laughs> Anyways. So, going back to the women in medicine... And, and, you know, fuck Gwyneth Paltrow. Crazy. <laughs> and her clams. And her clams. And her steamed clams. <laughs> and her candle that smells like her vagina, her steamed oh clam. That's sold out. It's so weird. It's so weird. Like, how did... Anyways, you know what? Fuck her. Uh, so, anyways. In the 1989 book, Medicine, Women, Curanderas, and Women Doctors, the authors take a look at how modern medicine can actually learn from female he- healers. So... The book dives into women, uh, how women are adept at reading facial subtleties since women and people of oppressed groups must rely on nonverbal nuances in order to actually advance or survive. So again, women are just conditioned to to be more empathetic. That doesn't mean that they naturally are. We're just conditioned to do so. And men can be conditioned as well. Yeah. So Mrs. Sedillo, who was 87 years old when she was interviewed in 1987, spoke about her experiences, she and she learned to be a curandera from her grandmother. Growing up in the Northwest, there weren't many doctors, so curanderas would actually travel pretty far for house calls. Most, some of the most common ailments they would treat included broken bones. Her cure for a broken bone? Let me tell you her cure. It's <laughs> wonderful. Warm horse manure. Mm-mm. With a fever being lowered with a combo of potatoes, vinegar, and mud. Mm-mm. She was, it's a delicious combination. Sounds <laughs> delicious. She was also a midwife and delivered tons and tons of babies. The most powerful, and this I thought was really interesting, the most powerful type of curandera, according to Jaramillo, was a curandera total. They use a combo of mysticism and religion and are not bound to one plane of existence which I think is amazing. They don't exist in just one space. They can, you know, move between realities. I just thought that was kind of cool. That seems so overwhelming, though. It does. I'd be tired. It sounds like a lot of running around. Uh, (laughs) So the other side of that coin is brujas, which, honestly, I'd be kind of down to be a bruja. So... Sure. The the bruja are those who supposedly have more malevolent techniques, so they can actually cause illness. Brujas have similar knowledge, but don't use the power of God or good. Rather, they do things to hurt people in exchange for money. I totally hate this binary, though, because brujas are not bad, because most are women, and because their practice isn't just limited to Catholicism, they tend to actually be ostracized. But before I go on a rant, let's save this for another episode. We can do a whole episode on brujas. I know. And brujeria. I think that would be, I'd be totally down for that. We need to dress up when we do it, though, when we record it. Like, we need to wear, like, the pointy hats. Now, <laughs> the pointy hats. Yeah, let's go full stereotype. Okay. <laughs> full, not even stereotype. It's probably, like, a caricature. 
full caricature, white caricature. <laughs> Let's do it. So, <laughs> and one last thing I want to say about this topic is that ultimately these women, although steeped in religio- religiosity and tradition, were still breaking cultural norms. They were, and they were, it was fascinating because they were able to utilize the positive aspects of a very dominated, male-dominated culture and use it as a foundation uh, and, quote, to stand and call attention to themselves and their power to heal. Yeah, that's so cool. Is that Yeah, that's, that's so really cool. powerful to have that ability to heal. And then traveling in the early 1900s across northern Mexico to help people, that's freaking insane. Right? Yeah. Because the Mexican Revolution was in like... 1910. So these were difficult times. Yeah. And I can imagine them traveling on horseback and just being like, you know, off riding into the sunset to save someone. Yeah. Like, it's so, <laughs> it's so interesting. It's so cool. And at a time where it was not common for them to travel and do these kind of, th- you know, women weren't allowed to really do those kind of things. Yeah. So so let's let's get into like some... I want to hear some ailments and some brujería and some <laughs> and some cures. Okay, so treatments we're, we're getting this, to, for these to things. where people should take notes in case they want to heal themselves if they feel like they have the don. <laughs> this is this is what they need to know. So, like we said, curanderos heal different types of ailments, ranging from physical to psychological to spiritual. So, one of my personal favorites is mal de ojo. And the way I know it, and there's different versions of this, but this is the way, this is the Orquidea family knowledge of Maldojo. <laughs> uh, is the, the basic idea is that we all have energy. And if you stare at someone or something for too long, you pass your energy to them. To them and this excess energy makes them sick. So that's how that works. That's cool. I like that. If, if you can. And to me, I actually didn't grow up with Maldojo. But I've seen it in many other cultures. Like I, when I went to Greece, I would see the that one amulet. I think it, we mentioned it later, but mm. I don't remember what it's called. And so it's just fascinating to me that you could stare at someone and just give them your bad juju. <laughs> but that's the, yeah. So there's different variations. The way I know it, it's not necessarily bad. It's just too much. But some people do say that like only certain people have the power to give ojo other people say it has to be related to bad intention. So either you you want what the person has, there's, so there's envy or greed or hate. That's how you mm. can give someone ojo. So some of the symptoms, uh, let's WebMD this. Uh, so some of the symptoms include, <laughs> include weakness, headaches, nausea. Some people say even death. So you can die from the mal de ojo. Damn. Yeah. That's brutal. Those are intense eyes. Those are Bella Lugosi eyes right there. Uh. Yeah, seriously, that's an aggressive stare. Yeah. Damn, she has like whoever has it probably has like really intense eyeliner too. <laughs> <laughs> like it's sharp enough to stab you. You don't even know it. Yeah, it's it's super sharp eyeliner. <laughs> so to heal it, curanderos usually use the egg. So they rub the raw egg over your body and not cracked, but like the whole egg. Mm. They rub it over your body and they usually say a prayer or something meditative. And the idea is that all the energy goes into the egg. And then they crack the egg into a clear glass of water. And you can see, like, if you did have ojo, like, the egg changes. 
What? What does it change into? So sometimes it looks like it's cooked. Like it looks like more hard-boiled or like the whites of the, the egg. Yeah, it kind of depends. And then, Does it come out in a different color? I've never seen it do that in my experience, but that would be really awesome if all of a sudden it's like red. Oh my God, imagine. <laughs> That'd be so nasty i know if you saw that you'd be like no this is the this is if there was... i'm gonna die them <laughs> i guess i'm gonna die <laughs> this is it <laughs> damn but other people uh put the egg under a cross under the patient's bed others bury the egg so there's different ways to get rid of it uh, my mom was saying that my aunt does or used to do a lemon or a jalapeno so she oh, would, what? yeah. So she would use that to rub it over the person's body, and if it um, shriveled up, it meant that the person had mal de ojo. So like their en- the energy that they had was absorbed into the lemon or the jalapeno and kills it. Oh, isn't that crazy? Gotcha. Yeah, that is crazy. They should do that to all the presidential candidates. <laughs> <laughs> See who so. has all the ojo. <laughs> yeah, I bet you someone like Trump, if you did a mal ojo de ojo. He probably gives it yeah. rather than takes it, you know? I was about to say He's Warren is probably right now, like, covered in mal de ojo. Oh, my God. After He's, the last he probably, Yeah. He probably would. Oh, God. <laughs> He's just evil. So this is probably one of the more well-known ailments, even though I didn't really know it that much. But it, I had uh, I had heard of it. Like, it's not something unheard of. Mm-hmm. But it is also definitely not exclusive to, to Latinx culture. So... The mal de ojo or evil eye actually has a long history. The evil eye appears throughout history in ancient e- uh, Egypt, uh, in Greece, or Roman classic- classical writings, as well as uh, in folklore of Africa, India, China, and other countries. So we found this cool article uh, in an ophthalmology journal for by George uh, Bohegian. He t- actually talks about the eye of Horus in Egypt. It's the image of the eye with the cool eyeliner circle behind, uh, like under it. And the legend goes that the god Horus lost an eye protecting humans from another god. So his eye became a sign of strength, sacrifice, and rebirth. The symbol is uh, used as a form of protection. So the mi- more familiar Nazar amulet we see today, so that's usually the eye with like on a blue background, which I saw a lot of in Greece when I visited there many years ago, that eye actually dates back to about 3,300 BC in Mesopotamia. So the power of this myth is so great, it has influenced development of modern-day apothalmology and even the Rx symbol we see on prescriptions that comes from, and that comes from actually the eye of Horus. So that symbol is the eye of Horus. Like, that's cool. Is that, yeah, when, when we were looking at that article, I was just amazed. I never thought I would be interested in ophthalmology, but I was just like, this is really cool history. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it has nothing to do with curanderos at this point. But, <laughs> again, the idea that not all of this is uh, independently created, you know? Yeah, definitely. So, another ailment is empacho. Um, so this is simply having problems with your stomach. So usually you feel really bloated and constipated or in the other extreme, you have diarrhea. Uh, your stomach is usually hard and swollen. So all sorts of stomach craziness going on. 
So this is usually associated with overeating or eating something that was bad, um, eating a lot of one thing, swallowing gum. That's what they would tell us when we were kids. If you eat a lot of gum, you get empacho or if you eat things that are raw. So the idea is that you have something stuck in your gastrointestinal system. So the curandero works to get things moving again. And usually they do massages, like they massage either your back or your stomach to get you to poop or to get the the bloat out. to To get the bad stuff out. Yeah. And the thing about empacho is... I love the story. That I can... Yeah, I can tell my story because that is exactly what I had when I was a kid and when I had to go see the curandera, which was so funny because I remember, so I don't know exactly why I got empacho because it was really the opposite of overeating. I wasn't eating anything really, but I was eating a lot of like, before I got empacho, I do remember that what I used to do is something so stupid as, you know, (laughs) you're stupid as a kid. So this was when you were like 26, 25. (laughs) <laughs> this is only a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I was like 10, maybe 10 or 11 when this happened, maybe a little younger. Um, but between those ages, I would fill an ice cube tray full of like tampico. <laughs> and then I would put it in. <laughs> it's so stupid. I would put it in the fridge and then I would eat them throughout the day. So I was eating like this frozen tampico crap. And as you all know, tampico is just, it's just sugar. Like it's just I don't understand why my parents let me drink it at, in any sort of capacity. It is literally 2% juice. <laughs> so I have never drank it again, and I never want to. But I had I had been eating a lot of these ice cubes. I guess I ended up getting really sick and not being able to eat anymore. So every time I ate something, I would want to vomit it. I just had constant nausea. I didn't want to eat so my mom was like, well, I can't take you to a traditional doctor because they won't know how to cure this. So I'm taking you to a curandera. I don't think they use the term curandera, but that's essentially what, who this woman was. So we traveled all the way about maybe an hour or so from where I was living to Watts in L.A. And we went to like this kind of um, nondescript apartment building. It was very square. I remember that. And it looked a a little bit like the projects, a little bit, but not quite. Mm -hmm. But it was kind of a sketchier area in Watts. I went up to to the apartment, and it was like a townhouse. And we went in there. We were greeted by this woman and her daughter. So the first thing that they did is they actually took me upstairs, and they laid me down. I had to take off most of my clothes, go for my underwear. And she started to massage my body. So all these things are, mm-hmm. are coming together. <laughs> so she massaged, <laughs> she massaged like from the top of my head and kind of massaged things towards my stomach. So from like the bottom of my feet up to my stomach and then from the top of my head down to my stomach. So that happened. And then that was uh, when that was over, we went back downstairs. So we went back downstairs and the first thing that they asked me was, uh, what flavor do you like or what flavor do you want? And I didn't really understand, like, what they were going to give me. I was confused. I was like, what the hell? Mm-hmm. But but they were like, okay, do you want, like, do you like lemon? Do you like orange? And I was just like, uh, orange. Give me orange. Whatever the hell that is. It's going to be orange flavored. <laughs> so they hand me. So the daughter was actually downstairs cooking this. She hands me a cup. And I look at the cup and it has like kind of like a molasses looking 
liquid thing. It wasn't quite liquid. It wasn't quite a solid either, but it was very mm. thick. And they said, you have to drink all of it and you have to do it now. And I was like, okay. And so I drank it and I was already a picky eater. And this thing was so disgusting. Like I hated it. And they were like, no, 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 you have to drink the whole thing. So they, all the adults in the room were just watching me drink this stuff down. It was terrible. Oh, wow. It was terrifying. So then the kicker was the curandera like hands my mom a bag, a plastic bag. And she's like, oh, just in case on the ride back. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait, what? What does that mean? <laughs> like no one is telling me anything. Like I don't understand what's going on. And so it turns out. The bag was if I shat myself, like if I needed to just like crap in the middle of no, like it took us an hour to get home. Mm -hmm. So if I had to shit, they were like, well, you can use this bag on the side of the road. I love that your parents, like I'm sure your parents would have pulled onto the side of the road. I don't know. Because in Texas, you can do that. Like it's all monte. So you can pull on. No, this is. This is L.A., girl. This is L.A. Everybody is goddamn awake at all goddamn hours of the day. So you can't pull on on the side of the freeway and just poop on the side of the freeway? No, I'll be... Luckily, it was before social media, so no one would (laughs) have fucking reported me. Look at this little girl. Ha ha, she's shitting in a bag, like, (laughs) on the side of the freeway. But, so, ultimately, what ended up happening is... I did not have to shit in a bag. Thank goodness. And I got home. And as soon as I got home, I had to go to the toilet. I just had to go to the toilet. And so for the next couple hours, I really just pooped my life away. <laughs> pooped it away. A, I, I never ate another goddamn Tampico popsicle that I made. <laughs> Disgusting Tampico popsicle. Never ate it again. And B, it cured me. Like, it worked. Yeah. I was, I stopped being empachada. Like, it was just, again, it's crazy. I don't know what was in that drink that made me poop like crazy, but it worked. And that's what, what that's what matters. You feel better or you felt better then. So. I got better and yeah. it wasn't psychological because I was a stubborn child as I am. I'm, I'm as stubborn as I am, you know, today. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, like I was just like, whoa, I don't feel sick anymore. It was, it was very interesting. So that's my curandera story. Ta-da. I love that. <laughs> and it's it's just, it was so random as a child. Like, I don't understand what's going on. But I want to also talk about another well-known ailment that you mentioned, actually, already. It's called el susto. Mm. So when you get susto, as the name implies, you experience a really, you've experienced basically a really scary event. So susto in, susto in Spanish just means uh, spooked. Uh, or spooky. So because of this, you know, susto, your soul leaves your body. So you have to do something to bring it back. Symptoms of this actually include insomnia, having a hard time sleeping, listlessness, and folks describe it similar to symptoms of depression. Yeah. This is one of those really fascinating ones for me because when we were doing the research, some of the articles talked about how susto is connected to trauma and how, especially men, it's hard for them to talk about tra- trauma and traumatic moments and things like that. So when you use a word like susto, right, it's not, you don't have to go to a psychologist or psychiatrist for that. 
But when you go to a curandero, there's still this process of healing the mind and healing the soul. So there's some counseling that they, they do too. I mean, that's the, like, if empacho and susto are so diametrically opposed, right? Like, empacho's the body and susto's the idea that you could lose your soul. But if we were thinking about it in, like, modern medicine terms, whatever that means, it would be, like, trauma and depression. Um, it just looks yeah. different. Yeah, and that's and that's super fascinating because of course people are are still throughout time are always going to be traumatized and depressed and all this other stuff. It's, yeah. it's a human common common human experience. So it's it's absolutely absolutely fascinating. Yeah, and my family. So their remedy is how I still deal with my depression. It was sugar. So <laughs> <laughs> that's not good. Shut up. I feel like that's not good. Shut up. <laughs> So no, but like if if somebody had susto, um, they would give you like a spoonful of sugar, that wouldn't oh. bring your soul back. So your soul is sweet. Yeah, it's attracted to my soul has diabetes. <laughs> your soul is a bee. Your soul is a bee. Oh, that and sounds better. Like... <laughs> but um, so normally a lot of the healing uh, that curanderos do um, also includes a form of limpia. Or cleansing ritual. So earlier you talked about smudging, right? And that that's kind of that idea of limpia, using incense or sage and different herbs to cleanse away these negative energies or whatever the case might be. So curanderos use copal, um, eggs, plants, and herbs. But they also, to address the spiritual side, bring in candles and prayers in their healing, which is really cool. So let me ask you a really serious question. Okay. Do those candles smell like your vagina? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> all candles smell like my vagina. My vagina is multi-scented. <laughs> I can't believe Sorry, I just said I that. Like, <laughs> I was like, does it have to smell like your vagina to work? Does the candle... I can't get over that stupid candle. I'm it's, sorry. It's, I have to, it's so I had to ridiculous. It. So ridiculous. Like part of me <laughs> wants to know what it smells like. I really, I don't. I really don't care. I'm so curious. Though. Oh, you know what? I'd rather go to the source. <laughs> Shut up! I hate you. <laughs> I'd rather go to Gwyneth Paltrow's house and stick my face in her crotch like a dog. You're going to get a restraining order. <laughs> totally worth it, though. <laughs> no, just from this podcast. <laughs> if you leave this I'm in there. I'm doing it for the podcast. I'm, getting, I'm doing it for my fans. But anyways, I wanted to ignore my stupid joke. I wanted to also ask you about your own personal experiences. Have you been to a curandero? For a second, I feel like I was on a talk show. Have you, Orquídea, been on a, to a curandero? <laughs> Are you special like me? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not special like you. I'm a different type of special. <laughs> ah, I like it. <laughs> okay, so, yes, I've been to curanderas. So, usually, like, my mom, because I always end up getting ojo for some reason. Um, what? Yeah. Who's staring at you? I don't. Good question. I do not know. Uh, maybe it's my students that hate me. <laughs> They're just like, oh, God. Yeah. Professora giving us homework again. 
Making us read. Yeah. So I think that's what it is. But you're supposed to wear that, like, the seed. You remember that one? It's called Ojo de Venado, and it's like a seed, and it's on, like, a red string. Yeah. I um. It was given to... It was given to my sister. I remember it being on her wrist when she was a baby. Yeah. So you're supposed to, like, I had a few of those growing up. I think I still have one somewhere. I rarely carry it with me. But the idea is that that prevents the, the evil eye. But yeah, so my mom always does the egg and my sister's done the egg on me. And you're technically like, they tell me that I can do it on myself, but that feels weird. That feels weird. That feels like masturbation somehow. I don't know. <laughs> Curandera masturbation. It's just some magic masturbation. I don't know. Like, I don't like that. That sounds <laughs> kind of cool, though. I, <laughs> I would rather have someone else who, who knows what they're doing do it to me. Yeah. Like, that would be interesting. Yeah. So, and one of the other things that um, I vaguely remember this, like a, a dream, like, you know, like, I remember going to this lady's house and the house was blue. I was really like six maybe. And so mom said that they wrapped me up. They tied like different color fabric and strings around me. Hmm. So the curandera was trying to bind me so that I wouldn't get negative energy from from people because I was too, I was like a sponge. I was too absorbent or some shit is what she said. (laughs) My daughter is a sponge. Yeah. <laughs> Fix her. So they, yeah. they it's a spongy girl. I was like. She's very spongy. Tied together or tied up with multicolored strings. Which That's is cool. Weird. Yeah. And then she was telling me that my aunt, who I mentioned earlier in the episode. So she would do, like I said, the, the lemon and the jalapeno. And she would also go to graveyards to like. Uh, berry stuff that she did for people um so she was kind of like a bruja curandera mix this was my favorite so at the beginning of the month uh she would go to the beach at midnight uh to get rid of all the negative energy and just bathe in the beach in midnight just kind of that is so cool yeah (laughs) that is wicked cool yeah (laughs) Uh, and she would wake up with like bruises and scratches after fighting with other curanderas and like their they were dream fight over patients who was oh, going to wow. be helped. Yeah. This is all this according is some, to my mom. So I'm going to, this, this is, is like fact. Some <laughs> X-Men shit. Like, this is amazing. I love it. Yeah. So that's my experience with curanderas. I like That's them. cool. Yeah. I like it. I like the fights. The fighting part was my favorite part <laughs> of that story. The curandera dream fighting. Yeah. It's like a curandera fight club. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you're only invited if you have the gift. <laughs> yeah. That is a paciente is mío. No, ese paciente is para mí. And then, you know. No, I think the it's idea like, was like they had different patients that were trying to do stuff to each other. So they were trying to fig- they were like fighting over who was going to win. Oh, I see. Yeah. That's still cool though. Yeah. And no 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 shade, but I I think it's really cool. So I think that's it for our episode today, our second attempt to record it. Some of the sources that we used, uh, in case folks are interested, so we consulted Medicine Women, Curanderas, and Women Doctors by uh, Perone, Stockel, and Kruger, Borderland Saints by Desiree Martin, 
uh, Maya Remedies and Their Influence on Modern Medicine by Sarah Hughes and MedicalSpanish.com. So those were some of the major ones that we that we used today. Yes, and thank you again for listening. If you want to continue supporting us, please leave a review. Just let us know what you think, and if you have any monsters, creatures, or legends you would like to would you would actually want us to cover, let us know. Also, please subscribe, and if you want to follow us on social media and talk to us there, I'm usually nowadays I'm really active on Twitter, so you can follow me on uh, or follow us at Monsters Podcast or email us at monsterspodcast at gmail.com mm-hmm. so thanks a lot guys and stay safe and don't get bewitched by a bruja yeah and go to an actual curandero if you actually want some of these medicines and stuff go to a curandero yeah support your local curandero see ya bye